0: Ezekiel chapter 4, I did uh, change the title. Uh, It's called, This is what sin does. This is what sin does. And basically, the the chapter that we're going to look at tonight is all about what sin does and what it did to God's people who had turned their face from Him. Most of the Jewish people had become so hard-hearted that they couldn't hear God's word anymore. And so the Lord commanded Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I want you to do something different. For the most part, Ezekiel stayed home and didn't take part in the everyday conversation of the people. Ezekiel stayed silent at all times, except when he had a message uh, uh, that, that he was to give the people from the Lord. That made people pay attention and they wanted to listen And not only that, Ezekiel often preached his message silently through charades, if you will, which is a dramatic presentation, a drama that's acted out. Ezekiel basically put on his own plays, a drama sermon or drama sermons that got people's attention and got the people interested in what Ezekiel was saying through these drama sermons. And even though the people were spiritually dull and they had turned a deaf ear to God's word, they could visibly see what he was saying. So the word got out that this weird prophet, (laughs) Ezekiel, was was doing some weird things. And pretty soon people got curious and he became a famous person among the exiles. People started hanging around his house (laughs) waiting to see what this weirdo was going to do. In chapter 4 and 5, he gives us four drama sermons that communicated some very shocking news to the Jewish people in Babylon. In chapters 4 and 5, Ezekiel is going to use signs that God gave him to act out a certain story in front of the people. And at this time, Jerusalem wasn't destroyed yet, and the false prophets were telling the people of Israel that they were going to have peace, which wasn't true. They were saying, the false prophets were saying that the Jews that were already in Babylonian captivity would be going back to, to their land shortly. But Ezekiel is going to give them the message that Jeremiah gave them earlier. And that is that they wouldn't be going back and that Jerusalem would be destroyed. So the Jewish exiles wouldn't be happy with the three messages that Ezekiel had for them from the Lord because Ezekiel was going to tell them about the destruction of Jerusalem and the devastation of the promised land. So it was bad enough that the Jews were exiles in a pagan land. But then to tell them that they wouldn't have a city to go back to was more than they could swallow. So it shouldn't be surprising why they'd rather hear the the encouraging message of the false prophets than the true and devastating message of the true prophet of God. Verses 1 through 8 covers the prophetic performance of all uh, of the fall of Jerusalem by Ezekiel using the clay the clay plate the clay tablet. This dramatization has two separate parts. Verses 1 through 3 focus on the clay tablet. And Ezekiel makes the clay tablet and it's the object of his lessons. In verses 4 through 8, the clay tablet is still part of the drama. But Ezekiel is the center of attraction as he's lying on the ground with that clay tablet to get his message out to the people. So Ezekiel is going to show these people that there isn't going to be any place, or I should say any peace, and that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. So let's begin with chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now I'm going to read the verses from the scriptures from the new king james and then i'm going to read them from the new uh, from the new message uh version just again in for ease of understanding so look at verses one through three as ezekiel says you are, or god speaks to ezekiel you also son of man take a clay tablet and lay it before you and portray on it a city uh a, a city jerusalem Lay siege against it, build a siege wall against it, and heap up a mound against it. Set camps against it also, and place battering rams against it all around. All right, from the message translation. Now, son of man, take a clay tablet and place it in front of you. Draw a picture of the city of Jerusalem on it. Then make a model of a military siege against the clay, uh, against the t- clay tablet. Build siege walls. Construct a military, I'm sorry, construct a ramp, set up army camps, lay in battery rams around it, and and then make a model of military siege against the clay tablet. Then get an iron skillet and place it upright between you and the city, an iron wall. Face the model or face to the, uh, put your face to the model, Ezekiel. The city shall be under siege and you shall be the besieger. This is a sign to the family of Israel. So in Ezekiel's first dramatization here, he uses a clay tablet that was commonly used in building. And in the soft clay, he drew a map of Jerusalem so that he completed the object and it represented the city of Jerusalem. And then using the clay tablet as his focal point, Ezekiel then acted out a battle on it. He built a siege wall. He built a mound or a rampart. He set up military camps around it and he used battering rams against it. He used an iron pan to represent an impenetrable barrier. And then he turned and looked at the city with concentration and determination as if he was the one planning the attack and leading the attack. So what Ezekiel was doing here, he was showing that he had some knowledge about Assyrian and Babylonian battle strategy. And there are seven seven characteristics of this drama and it shows that understanding that that Ezekiel had of military operations. First characteristic, he laid siege to the city. That is, he surrounded the city. What the Assyrians would do is surround a city and cut off their water supply and their food supplies until the people gave up and surrendered. The second thing he showed them through this dramatization he built a siege wall to surround the city to keep the people from escaping the third thing that he showed uh, in in this dramatization he built a dirt a dirt wall or mound to make it easier to get over the walls the fourth thing that the fourth characteristic he set up military camps in key places around the city The fifth characteristic, he set up an iron wall to represent the iron will of God's judgment and the impenetrable barrier of Babylon's army that was God's chastening rod. And last, the seventh characteristic, it says he set his face against them. That is, he turned his face toward them. It suggests God's firm decision that God had made up his mind. And these proceedings provided a sign that destruction was coming to Jerusalem and Judah. So what the people refused to accept by word, they witnessed in the symbolic actions that were acted out by Ezekiel. So during all of this dramatization, Ezekiel didn't say a word. What he acted out said everything. Those who were watching definitely got the message. It's possible for people... To rebel against God for such a long time that all God can do is allow them to reap the consequences of their own sins. You see, the Jews were sinning against a flood of light. They knew the conditions of the covenant. They knew what the covenant said. And remember, they said to Moses, we agreed to it. We will do what God says. And they knew that God had sent prophet after prophet to rebuke them for their idolatry. And yet they continued to disobey God's will. So now it was too late. And Hosea, uh, uh, and, uh, it, it says, And the Lord God of their fathers, and I forgot to write down the scripture here, but it says, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them. Okay, it was Second Chronicles, that I do remember. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, notice, till there was no remedy. Hosea says in Hosea 4.17, Ephraim, another name for Israel, is joined to idols, let him alone. You see, we can go so far and go so far against God and cross that line where God says, you know what? There's no remedy for them. Leave them alone. Now verses 4 through 8. And he says to Ezekiel, Lie also on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of the days that you lie on it, you shall bear their iniquity. For I have laid on you the years of their iniquity according to the number of the days, three hundred and ninety days, so you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And when you have completed them, lie again on your right side, and then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I have laid on you a day for each year. Therefore you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem, your arm shall be uncovered, and you shall prophesy against it. And surely I will restrain you so that you cannot turn from one side to another till you have ended the days of your siege. Now I'm going to read it from the, from the message. Next, they speak, again, God's speaking to Ezekiel. Next, lie on your left side and place the sin of the family of Israel on yourself. You will bear their sin for as many days as you lie on your side. The number of days that you bear their sin will match the number of years of their sin, namely 390 for 390 days, you will bear the sin of the family of Israel. Then after you have done this, turn over and lie down on your right side and bear the sin of the family of Judah. Your assignment this time is to lie there for 40 days, a day for each year of their sin. And he said, look straight at the siege of Jerusalem, roll up your sleeve, shake your bare arm and preach against her. I will tie you up with ropes, tie you up so that you can't move or turn over until you have finished the days of the siege. So Ezekiel was told by God to lie on his side, his left side, for 390 days, then to lie on his right side for 40 days, suggesting how long the time of iniquity of Israel and Judah was. God also told Ezekiel to turn his face towards the siege with his arm bared. That might you know, symbolized shaking his fist as a prophecy against the city. His left side would be toward the north and directions were usually calculated by facing the east, East, which placed north to the left, south to the right, and west to the rear. After the kingdom was divided, Israel was the northern kingdom and Judah was the southern kingdom. The right and left sides symbolically pointed to Israel and Judah. Now, there's a lot of speculation about the 390 days and the 40 days. So, again, you can study it yourself and and look at it and and, kind of see what what God shows you. Verses 9 through 17 covers Ezekiel's dramatization of the completeness of the destruction. Again, and the unclean meal shows how devastating this unclean meal, this defiled meal that they're going to be eating shows, again, the completeness of the destruction, how bad it's going to be. So the acting out of the unclean meal has three parts. One, it shows Ezekiel is is told to prepare the food to be cooked in verses 9 through 11. Secondly, Ezekiel is to cook the meal, but is given a request not to break the laws of cleanliness in verses 12 through 15. And third, there's an interpretation of the enactment in verses 16 and 17. So let's begin with verses 9 through 11. Also, Ezekiel, take for yourself wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt. Put them into one vessel and make bread of them for yourself. During the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days, you shall eat it. And your food which you eat shall be by weight, 20 shekels a day. From time to time, you shall eat it. You shall also drink water by measure, one-sixth of a hen. From time to time, you shall drink it. And you shall eat as barley cakes and bake it and, notice, and bake it using fuel of human waste in their sight. From the message. Next, I want you to take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, dried millet and spelt, and mix them in a bowl to make a flat bread. This is your food ration for the three hundred ninety days you lie on your side. Measure out about half a pound for each day and eat it on schedule. Also measure out your daily ration of about a pint of water and drink it on schedule. It shows the extreme harshness of the conditions that they're going to experience during the siege. It was acted out here by Ezekiel during the 390 days that he laid on his side. And he prepared a cake made out of a mixture of six kinds of grains mentioned there in first 9. Now, these different grains mixed together, all right, produced a grade of flour of lesser quality than pure wheat or barley flour. So this mixture seems to give the picture of a situation where the people would mix anything together that was edible because they had a great lack of food because, again, of the devastation that was going to come. The amount of this lesser grade of flour was specified as 20 shekel weight. A 20 shekel weight there in verse 10. Shekels were coins, but they were weighed rather than counted. An average shekel was about 11.4 grams. So Ezekiel allowed himself about 230 grams of this particular flour per day for food, which was equal to about eight ounces. He also limited his daily amount of water that he could drink just as it would be during an actual siege mentioned in verse 11. You see, the water supply for Jerusalem, like many cities in that time, was outside the city walls. So this made cities vulnerable during the long periods of siege so that water was usually rationed. A sixth of a hen would be between a half to one liter of water per day. The portion of food and water that Ezekiel allowed himself was a little more than, just, it was a little more than starvation rations. The picture acted out here by Ezekiel represented the conditions during an actual siege. They were going to be terrible. These actions strengthened the message of the previous dramas. The siege of the clay tablet and laying on his side in order to picture the destruction of Jerusalem. So Ezekiel performed these acts at certain times each day according to verse 10. And even though he didn't give an exact time when he put on his, th- these demonstrations, he probably pick, picked a time when he would have been sure that there was an audience in the street or in the marketplace. Verses 12 through 19. And you shall eat it as barley cakes and bake it using fuel of human waste in their sight. Then the Lord said, So shall the children of Israel eat their defiled bread or this unclean meal among the Gentiles, where I will drive them. So I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, indeed I have never defiled myself from youth till now. I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has abominable flesh ever come into my mouth. Then he said to me, See, I am giving you cow dung instead of human waste and you shall prepare your bread over it. From the message translation or version, he tells Ezekiel, eat the bread like you would eat a muffin. Bake the muffins out in the open where everybody can see you using dried human dung for, food, uh, for fuel. So they were to cook this meal on human waste. God said, this is what the people of Israel are going to do. Among the pagan nations where I will drive them, they will eat foods that are strictly unthinkable to holy people. Ezekiel said, God, my master, never. I've never contaminated myself with food like that. Since my youth, I've never eaten anything forbidden by law. Nothing found dead or violated by wild animals. I've never taken a single bite of forbidden food. All right, God said, I will let you bake your bread over cow dung instead of human dung. I have never eaten any meat forbidden by the law. All right, the Lord said, you may bake your bread with cow dung instead of human dung. Again, showing how horrible this siege is going to be and the effect that it has on the people. The way that this mixed grain and barley cake meal was prepared again, represented the harsh and widespread conditions during this siege that was going to take place. That Eagle was, was dramatiz- uh, dramatiz- uh, dramatizing, you know, during these, these, these um, acts that he was performing. While the use of dried animal dung was used for, fu- uh, for fuel, uh, it, again, it, it seems unusual, it's disgusting, uh, but, but you know what? It was a common practice at that time. And it's still used today. Animal waste was mixed with straw, dried by the sun, and then burned for fuel. Trees were scarce. So this kind of a practice was necessary. Another reason is wood was a commodity that was too precious to use as a fuel. So they used animal manure. And animal manure did not break the strict dietary laws of Israel. But human waste did it was considered to be defiling according to Deuteronomy 23, 9-14. And its use in this way was strictly prohibited by God. Now, for Ezekiel, having grown up in a priestly family and probably in training as a priest himself, Ezekiel was really bothered by this command to eat his food prepared over human dung, you know, to prepare his meal in such an unclean way. The lack of food, prepared in an unclean way, taught a twofold lesson about how terrible these, these, these conditions were, about the disastrous conditions during the siege of Jerusalem. God had provided manna in the days of the wilderness wanderings that he might teach them to trust him. They had to learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, Deuteronomy 8.3. But the opposite was also true. To neglect the word of God produced a famine, both of wood and of the knowledge of God and spiritual truths. In Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, Amos said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east and they shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord but shall not find it. Can you imagine what a horrible thing that would be? And then how we love the word of God and we go to the word of God to find direction, to find comfort, to find hope. But a day that would come when we didn't have the word of God. And again, that's again the importance of reading the word of God and letting it dwell richly in your heart because Hey, who knows what can happen in the days that come? God forbid that, you know, we should have Bibles taken away and our churches closed down. Man, if we don't know the Word of God, what are we going to do? Amos was, uh, what Ezekiel was saying here is that God's judgment will be like a famine. And Amos was saying the same thing. God's judgment will be like a famine, not only of actual food, but also of spiritual food, spiritual nourishment. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, in times of crisis, difficult times, and and they're upon us, and and they're going to get worse before they get better. And the only time they're going to get better is when Jesus comes. In times of crisis, people turn to the Lord for some word of guidance or encouragement or hope or strength. But for Israel, no word was going to come. The psalmist said in uh, Psalm 74, 9, there's not a sign or symbol of God in sight, nor anyone to speak in His name, no one who knows what's going on. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says this, my people are destroyed because they don't know me, and it's all your fault, speaking to the false priest, because you yourselves refuse to know me. Therefore, I refuse to recognize you as my priest. Since you have forgotten my laws, I will forget to bless your children read it i read this from the living bible what a terrible terrible thing to have plenty of religion people have a lot of religion today but how terrible it would be not to get a word from the lord that means no light will be given in dark times and in miserable times in difficult times it means no spiritual enlightenment would come for our souls that means no direction would be given to us for making decisions and, and there would be no protection from the lies of the enemy. And, and the word says that, that, that the people would stagger like drunks going to and fro from place to place, always hoping to find food and to find drink for their bodies and spiritual nourishment for their souls. Man, in times of crisis, people turn to the Lord. And they turn to the Lord, even the unbeliever will come to that place and comes to that place to where they know, the only one who can help me is God. People in crisis turn to the Lord for some kind of guidance and encouragement. But here for Israel, it says, Ezekiel, no word would come. Again, the psalmist in Psalm 74, 9 said, there's not a sign or symbol of God in sight, nor anyone to speak in his name, no one who knows what's going on. Ezekiel's reaction didn't come because of his view of the defilement of sin, but because of his training as a priest. This was God's way of reminding Ezekiel and Israel that they were more sensitive to breaking their regulations than breaking their relationship with God. They were more worried about breaking the the, the rules and the laws and the regulations of God's word than breaking their relationship with God. God graciously allowed Ezekiel to prepare his food in a ceremonial, clean way, according to verse 15, just as Ezekiel asked him. Verses 16 and 17. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, surely I will cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem. And they shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety, and they shall drink water by measure and with bread that they may lack bread and water and be dismayed with one another and waste away because of their iniquity. I'm reading it again from the, the message version. Then he said to me, son of man, I'm going to cut off all food from Jerusalem. The people will live on starvation rations. Worrying where the next meal's coming from. Scrounging for the next drink of water. Famine conditions. People will look at one another, see nothing but skin and bones, and shake their heads. This is what sin does. Thus the title tonight. This is what sin does. God made sure that the people understood what this lesson meant. God specifically told Ezekiel that the meaning of his actions these dramatizations related to how severe god's judgment was going to be and the rationing represented the interruption of the food and the water supply to jerusalem anxiety and despair were the natural reactions of those who lived in a city under siege without food and water with no help of any kind and their reaction to the sight of seeing each other as they suffered starvation would be shocking to them. Verse 17, skin and bones. So the lessons were clear. All that, that, that Ezekiel was showing them through these dramatizations showed the message was clear. That there would be, that Jerusalem was headed for severe and shocking judgment. And it would bring horrible conditions to them the people would be filled with fear and despair when the siege got underway and they would slowly waste away by starvation drastically reduced portions of food would take its toll on the population and lastly all of the judgments were to be understood as a direct result of the sins of the people you see sin pollutes Sin pollutes. It not only pollutes the soul, it pollutes the environment. Sin pollutes the external environment, and it lives, you know, and the lives of those who choose sin. When God sends judgment, man, it affects the land as well as the people. Let's look at what happened in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, after Adam sinned. God said, Adam, I'm going to paraphrase it. Adam, all I asked of you was not to eat from that tree. But you listened to your wife and you ate from it. So he says, I'm going to curse the ground around you. I'm going to curse the ground because of you. And you will have to work hard all your life for the food that the ground produces. The ground is going to grow thorns and weeds for you. And you will have to eat the plants that grow wild in the fields. That's what sin does. You know, God made man. The Bible says, and He blew into his nostrils and gave him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And again, this is coming from from Genesis when God created man in the garden. But then God, you know, when, after he created man, it says that God made all kinds of trees from, uh, to, to, to grow from the ground. Beautiful trees to look at. Trees that were good to eat from. The tree of life was in the middle of the garden and also the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he said, and he created rivers, four of them that flowed out of, out of the garden. You know, from, from, and from those rivers, divide, they were divided into four. I said the first river was Pishon. It flows from, uh, through Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of this land, he said, is good. And the land is also known for a sweet-scented resin and the onyx stone. The second river, Gahan. And it flows from the land of Cush. The third rev- re- uh, river is Hadakel, Hede- and flows east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. And it says that God, you know, this beautiful place that God created, it says, then God took Adam, set him down in the Garden of Eden to work the ground and to keep it in order. And then God said, Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. And he made a companion for Adam. The Bible says a a suitable companion, someone like him, yet so different from him. And then it says, he put, it says that, that God put Adam to sleep, a deep sleep. And God removed, as he slept, God, God removed one of Adam's ribs and used that rib to make a woman for him and then presented her to the man. But because of sin, we saw what happened. The ground was cursed. He would have to work hard from the sweat of his brow for the rest of his life. And he said the ground was cursed with thorns and, and, and weeds. God gave Israel, his chosen people, a land of milk and honey. And he promised to bless their crops and their flocks and their herds and their families. If, here's the condition, if they obeyed his covenant. And God's given us that promise. He's given us so much and we'll continue to do that if we follow And obey his word the land of milk and honey the the rich city of jerusalem as we just finished reading became a place of scarcity a lack of food and lack of drink and, and it brought hunger because israel took their blessings for granted just as adam in the garden and they turned away from the Lord, and they worshiped idols. So God cursed their blessings. And, it, and, it, and it's to the point that, that the parents had to eat their own children to stay alive. In times of famine, men have restored or resorted to the most vile things for food in, in, you know, in their efforts to satisfy their hunger. Jerusalem had been reduced to this low degree as the siege got worse and worse. And there could be no relief for their sufferings as long as they refused to listen to God's voice as he spoke through his servants, the prophets. And at this time, Jeremiah in Jerusalem was giving a similar message to the one that Ezekiel was giving among the captives in Babylon. And yet the people refused to listen so that judgment had to take its course. This whole chapter is about what sin does. What sin does to a people to a nation and we saw it started in the garden of eden when adam sinned god cursed the ground and adam would surely die we see it happen here in chapter four the people were going to die of starvation and the god just cursed everything and, you know, when we look at this, you think about a lot of times that God, boy, God was meaning. God was bringing this, you know, this is, God was telling them, this is what was going to happen because of your sin. It wasn't that God made sure that this is what he was going to do to them. See, he warns us about what's going to happen. We can't, and so again, we, we can't get mad at God. He, he always warns us. And then when it happens, God says, I told you. You know, it's kind of like the like you know I, I think of the illustration and I'm finished with this is that you know we, we teach our children don't play in the street don't run out into the street you you're going to get hurt you, you could even get hit by a car and you know if they do you know accidentally or whatever you know even just not thinking it's going to happen and and they get hurt, God forbid you hit by a car you know it's not like they can come back and blame us for it. Because we warn them. You know, it's not that, hey, it happened because we said it was going to happen or or we made it happen or wanted it to happen. And a lot of times we look at that as God. We look at what happened here and how horrible, you know, parents eating their kids and and cooking meals. God did that. No, he said, this is what you're going to do as a result of your sin. He's prophesied. This is what's going to happen to you. Not that he did it. He allowed it. He said, this is what's going And that's what he does through the scripture. He warns us what's going to happen. He's not a mean God. He's not a vindictive God. He's a loving God and warns us, look, I care for you. I love you. Listen to what I have to say because this is what's going to happen. And we can never blame God for the things that happen to us when we disobey him. And we just turn a deaf ear to him. Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful word, God. Lord, we, Lord, when we see these kinds of things that happen to the children of Israel, people a lot of times get the the idea that that you're a mean God. And how could you let such, or, or do such horrendous things to them? Because they disobeyed you. You didn't do it to them. You warned them that it was coming, that it was going to happen. And you didn't want that to happen to them. But if they continued on the road of sin, that was going to be the result. So God, help us to, to see you through the eyes of the Scriptures, a God of love and one who cares for us. And his concern for, for our, our, our spiritual welfare, God. And warns us of, of the things that sin will do to us. And, and Father, there is a line that we can cross. As the scripture says, where there is no more remedy. And to just leave them alone. So Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your tender mercies. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.